Hey, Habershore listeners, got a great two-part episode on tap with Amin El-Hassan. We'll be talking about Draymond Green's speech on Monday night on Andre Drummond and his perceived double standard in the NBA. And in part two, we're going to be joined by someone I've been meaning to have on the pod for a really long time. His name is Brian Sutterer. He's a sports doc who has a gazillion YouTube subscribers and does an amazing job at explaining sports injuries to the layman, like you and me. Uh, We're going to have him on to break down everything there is to know about the Anthony Davis Achilles injury and how long we should expect him sidelined. But before we get to all that, a reminder that Amin and I do a live Haber Show pod every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on the Stereo app. Download the Stereo app and follow us at Haberstro, H-A-B-E-R-S-T-R-O-H, and at Darth Amin. We'll be mixing it up with uh, our fans while we watch the Wednesday night slate. We'll answer questions, do some trivia, and uh, just generally riff with the audience. So that's the Stereo app for a live interactive experience with the Haber Show. Talk to you then, Wednesday night. You can do call recorder. You can do, I, I can't All do right. call recorder because the new Mac. Now on to the Haber Show. It's not compatible. Yep. Is that right? Um, all right. Three, two, one. I mean, we talked yesterday over the phone about Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin, and the situation with the with the league and whether this is kind of a double standard where the Cleveland Cavaliers can sit Andre Drummond to protect their asset and try to make sure that he stays healthy while they uh, they try to find a suitable trade or a buyout situation. Same thing with Blake Griffin. And we had discussed this kind of yeah. – off air, and then Draymond Green happened. So last night, after the Cleveland Cavaliers game between the Warriors and the Cavs, Warriors blew him out. Andre Drummond was sitting in street clothes on the sidelines for the game, and Draymond Green had a lot to say. So I'm going to play the clip here now, and then we'll just do a better clip later. But let's let's listen to it. To watch Andre Drummond before the game. Uh, sit on the sideline, then go to the back, and then come out in street clothes because a team is going to trade him is bullshit. Because when James Harden asked for a trade and essentially dogged it, I don't think there was no surprise or no, you know, there's no one's going to fight back that James was dogging it his last days in Houston. But he was castrated for one to go to a different team and everybody destroyed that man. And yet a team can come out and say, oh, we want to trade a guy. And then that guy is to go sit. And if he doesn't stay professional, then he's a cancer and he's not good in someone's locker room and he's the issue. And we've seen situations of Harrison Barnes getting pulled off the bench. You know, DeMarcus Cousins finding out that he's traded in an interview after the All-Star game, and we continue to let this happen. But I got fined for stating my opinion of what I thought should happen with another player. But teams can come out and continue to say, oh, we're trading guys, we're not playing you. And yet we're to stay professional. At some point, as players, we need to be treated with the same respect and have the same rights that the team can have. Because as a player, you're the worst person in the world when you want a different situation. But a, but a team can say they're trading you, and that man is to stay in shape. He is to stay professional. And if not, his career is on the line. 
at some point, this league has to protect the players from embarrassment like that. You know, we talk all of this stuff about you can't do this. You can't say that publicly. If you say that publicly, you're fine. Anthony Davis got fined, I think, $100,000 or something like that for demanding a trade publicly. But you can say Andre Drummond's getting traded publicly and we're looking to trade him publicly and he's to stay professional and just deal with it. But then when Kyrie Irving say, oh, my mental health is off, everybody go crazy about that too. Do you not think that affects someone mentally? As much as we put into this game to be great, to come out here and be in shape, to produce for fans every single night, and most importantly, to help your team win. Do you think that doesn't affect someone mentally? But as players, we're told to, ah, no, you can't say that, you can't say this, but teams can? It goes along the same lines of when, when everyone wants to say, oh man, that young guy can't figure it out. But no one wants to say the organization can't figure it out. At some point, the players must be respected in these situations, and it's ridiculous, and I'm serious. Right. Y'all have a tomorrow. There's so much to unpack here, but uh, what were your thoughts right off the bat? Uh, Draymond, obviously, is a really smart guy, uh, is a big-picture kind of guy, but also is an emotional guy, says things, and sometimes, like, well, that's not – that's not totally right, right? So, for instance, he brings up Anthony Davis. Hey, Davis got fined grand for saying he wanted to get traded. Yeah, and the Pelicans got fined for saying that we want to go play him until he gets traded. Like, it, that, that was taken care of, right? That, that There are rules regarding these sorts of situations. I agree with him that Andre, you know, what's happening to Andre Drummond kind of sucks, except for the fact that Andre Drummond agreed to it. This was done in conjunction with his representation. They talked about it. They agreed to it. And that's the difference. The difference is, in the case of James Harden, at least on the outset, his team didn't agree to it. He wanted to get traded. They didn't want to make it happen. And then as time went by, they might they, – they, if you're James Harden – you might say that, you know, you, they weren't sincere in trying to make it happen. Right, right. And so that's that's why the conflict happens, why James Harden does what he does. John Wall requested a trade, and other than one kind of slip of the tongue, he kept it quiet, Washington kept it quiet, Washington traded him. And so I would say if there's a player who wants to play but it's told by his team, we're not going to play you because we want to trade you. And you didn't ask for a trade. And you didn't ask, you know, to not play. Then, yeah, you have every right to be upset like Draymond is right there. But when it's – this is all part of a plan, then I don't have a problem with it. Although, you know, as you pointed out to me on the phone yesterday, New Orleans got fined for this. I don't know why. What makes Cleveland think Cleveland and Detroit with Blake Griffin think that they can get away with you know announcing it? Why would you? Why would you announce your intentions? It's always the weirdest thing to me. Why would you tell the media, "Hey, this is what we're doing"? By the way, yeah. So a couple things here. One is um, so Anthony Davis is definitely an exceptional case. Like we had one of the best players in the NBA playing for one of the smallest markets in the league. 
and also a very high-profile chase by the Los Angeles Lakers to pry Anthony Davis away from the Pelicans, which the optics of that situation, it's a really bad look for the league. Is that if you're a fan of New Orleans or Utah or Charlotte or Memphis and your star player is being poached by <laughs> the evil empire, New York, Brooklyn, uh, L.A., right? That's a shitty feeling for those teams. Mm. Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin are totally different circumstances. But if there is a rule that the NBA does have, like I've written a lot about this. I mean, the NBA does have a rule in September of 2017. They established a new rule in the league that said resting healthy players is prohibited in the league. Okay. You have to play them if they are healthy. Healthy scratches are not going to be allowed, especially for high-profile games where LeBron James was resting in, in 2016, 2017, or Steph Curry was resting, Kawhi Leonard, in high-profile games. And the NBA was like, we can't have this anymore. Our TV partners are very upset. We're very upset because we're, we're promoting all these games on national TV and that Kawhi Leonard sitting there in street clothes. So they established a new rule that said if you violate this rule, you are going to be fined a hundred, at least $100,000 a game. The NBA, when Anthony Davis did this, when the Pelicans were going to sit Anthony Davis, they threatened them and said, look, this is against our rules. Mike Bass, the uh, spokesman for the league, said – Look, we didn't say we were going to fine you $100,000 per game because Brian Winhurst at ESPN had reported that. And the league said, well, we didn't, we didn't threaten them with a $100,000 fine. We just said that this is in violation of the rules and they aren't allowed to do this. So the, the Pelicans worked out a compromise and said, all right, we'll play Anthony Davis, but we're sure as hell not going to play him for 40 minutes a night. We're going to play him 20 minutes a night. And that compromise I wrote for NBC Sports in a column two years ago, I said, this was the worst of both worlds. Because one, you're signaling to the fans, hey, we're not going to play Anthony Davis in the fourth quarters because we're not trying to win games. And two, we're leaving him still open for risk for injury, a cataclysmic injury, right? So by playing him 20 minutes a game, you're getting the worst of both worlds. You're telling your fans we're not trying to win games and also he could blow out his name, right? In this right. situation, Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond apparently, according to ESPN reporting, their representation both agreed that this is this is an acceptable outcome. Is that Andre Drummond, starter for the Cleveland Cavaliers, actually had some nice moments this season, is no longer viable to play. Not even as a backup to Jared Allen, we're just going to straight up not play him. And same thing with Blake Griffin. And those guys aren't Anthony Davis, right? No one's going to, right. as you said yesterday on the phone, I mean, like no one's showing up to the game and be like, oh, oh Andre Drummond's not playing. I'm, yeah. This is ridiculous, first of all, because there's no fans. But uh, <laughs> I always think about the, the sad kid in a wheelchair. Like in, uh, uh, I don't know if you ever watched the, the Great White Hype, where this is the kid who's re- cheering for uh, Irish Terry Conklin. And then he gets knocked out, and the kid in the wheelchair just kind of slumps in his wheelchair. That's, that's, that's what you're what thinking think about, about with Blake Griffin. Yeah. It's like, 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 Andre, Andre Drummond's not here. Like, oh, he just slumps in his wheelchair. What is the meaning of life anymore? Yeah, like that's not that's not happening for for a variety of reasons, right? But um, but I do think that this happens a lot in the NBA, and the NBA still hasn't really figured out how they're going to police it. 
And so remember a couple years ago, I mean, J.R. Smith, after LeBron left, J.R. Smith was still on the Cavs and he said, they're tanking. Straight up, they're tanking. Right. They're not playing me and I'm not going to report. I'm going to sit on the sidelines and they're going to try to trade me or we're going to work out a buyout. Carmelo right. Anthony in Houston, same deal that we're seeing with Blake Griffin is the Houston Rockets and the and the mellow situation did not work out. And the Rockets said, look, just stay home. Uh, this is not going to work out for us here. We'll try to work something out. Same Didn't thing. they cut him? Eventually, uh, they did cut him. Yes. But how it long was, did that take? Refresh my mind. How long from, hey, this ain't working out to, you know what? Just cut his ass. How long was that? I, I'm not sure. It might have been after the trade deadline my, when they tried in, to. In my, memory, in my memory, it wasn't that long, Tom. I, I might be wrong here. I don't know. So um, he stopped playing November 8th of 2018. That was his last game uh-huh. with the Rockets. And then he was cut. Uh, let's see here. Uh, he was waived. Sorry, he was traded January 22nd. So remember, he was traded. <laughs> I remember this now. He was traded in a cash dump. Atlanta. With a, no, no, no. It was with uh, right. It was with Chicago. They basically traded him yeah. for some money and then it was a, it was a cap deal and basically the 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 bulls waved him like two weeks later um but anyway so he was he was sidelined for like two months with the houston rockets told not to come to work or essentially they worked it out where it's like look man we're not going to play you so you might as well not show up same deal with ennis canner new york and chandler parsons in memphis they the teams basically said look it's not going to work out why don't you sit home we'll try to work out a buyout so i mean what's happened andre godala is another one yep Andre Iguodala is another. So this happens a by, lot. By, I mean, by the way, the Carmelo Anthony trade—you forgot to mention the rights to John Diebler. Remember him from Dance. Ohio State, shooter. <laughs> um, no, but uh, yeah, no, it, it, it does happen a lot, and I think, I think there is a, a to me, because you know, if I'm Draymond, my current argument to us is okay. It happens a lot. Doesn't make it right. And I would say you're right, but to me, the clear line of demarcation is: is the player and his agent are they complicit in this? If they're not complicit, then you you have a right to be upset, and you have a right to make a big uh, stink about it. But if they are complicit, you know, I, I don't know what you're looking for, man. Like uh, now, the other thing he said in there, which was not quite related to this situation, but it's something that he said in the past, uh, most specifically about Marquise Chris. Everyone always talks about players that don't work out. What about the organizations that don't work out or whatever, mm. or whatever however you phrase it. And that, like, uh, Draymond said, nobody ever says that. I said, Draymond, hold on now. Hit the pause button because I'm the king of shitty shit happens for shitty teams. And players go places and their career, see that watch their careers end. If they had gone to multiple other places, they might have flourished or even seen themselves become all star caliber. And, and I'm all about the soil, the 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 richness of the soil within which you plant the seed, and that if you put it in fertile ground, it grows it to be a big beautiful tree and it bears fruit. And if you put it in sand, it turns into nothing. And there are organizations that we've named them many, 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 many a time that are sand. And that's why teams. I don't want to be here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those are sand situations. And and that's also why you see teams like San Antonio, 
like uh, Golden State, like uh, Miami, like Boston, that can go and find guys that everybody could have gotten, everybody turned their nose to. And then, oh, oh, remember how San Antonio had that streak of like 15 years? Somebody washed up a go there, and then all of a sudden they're awesome, of course. <laughs> and people never stop. Boris Dia. Yeah, Boris Dia. Yeah. yeah. Boris Dia is a great example. People, yes, we always want to give credit to Pop. And of course, San Antonio, those guys do a good job of finding out what your strengths are playing to them. But we never stop and ask about the last place that guy was, where it didn't work out. Why didn't it work out? You never stop to ask that. And, that, and that's the shame of it. That's the part, the problem for a lot of people uh, in terms of analysis, whether they're in the media or fans or whatever. So how much of this is Draymond Green saying there's a double standard here for players and teams. If a player doesn't want to play and wants out, he is held to a different standard than a team that doesn't want a player to play and we're going to hold him out. Um, He's pointing to the hypocrisy of it all, right? And he brings up – I mean he brought up Harrison Barnes. He brought up Kyrie Irving. Like there's a lot of stuff going on here. He he brought up – so he brought up – uh, Harrison Barnes and who was the other guy he brought up? Uh, Demarcus Cousins at the at Demarcus the, Cousins. So Demarcus Cousins finding out. Okay, what, the is NBA that a did change that, there? by the way. First of all, the NBA changed that. Second of all, what? So what's supposed to happen? Like, what would he have? Like, okay, the guy shouldn't have told him. I should have let him finish his media shit, and then afterward, tell him, hey, by the way, you got traded. Okay, that's really minor. It's not really something like a woe is me thing. Harrison Barnes got pulled because they thought he got traded. Or did he get traded, right? Like, yeah. he, he, as he, and he LeBron was really already. pissed about that. LeBron went on social media like right after that and was like, this this ain't right. Like, so how much of this so is – So it's about that business hours? Should we not trade a guy uh, once the game has started? Like, I mean, that's, that's my thing. It's like some of this stuff is like, bro, that's just, that's just the business of it, man. That's, it's not like disrespectful or uh, taxing or whatever. It's just a reality. As contracts get traded, man, like, okay, like a guy can't go in a game. You literally, uh, your, your rights belong to a different team now. And so I, I don't know what his solution is. Is his solution not to trade people before a game? Is his solution not to have trades? Is it, what is the solution there? Is the solution to have him go out there, play, get hurt, and have the trade be rescinded? Yeah, so right? this, like, this seems like a catch-22 situation to me, To me, I mean, because when you look at the Harrison Barnes situation where it's like, yo, look at how uh, just dehumanizing it must be to be sitting on the bench for, for playing a game and someone walks – a staffer walks up to you and whispers in your, yo, you've been traded. You need to go back to the locker room now and having that on broadcast on national TV or whatever it is. Like how how dehumanizing and embarrassing and humiliating that must be. Um, But on the flip side of it, one of the things that you always hear from players when they get traded and it's dehumanizing in this other way is I got to hear it from the public first. And then I found out on Twitter. Yeah, I found out on Twitter. No, you guys got to I got to hear from my auntie. She's got to text me. Have you seen Twitter? So if you imagine, I mean, a Harrison Barnes sitting on that on that bench and a fan behind him says, yo, Harrison, you just got traded to Detroit. Like he'd be but pissed not, at the not, GM, right? Here, here's the part. It's not a catch 22. Because 
getting traded is literally part of the job, right? I'm going to tell you what feels a lot more dehumanizing, which is also part of the job, but I think would be way worse is someone coming up to you, hey, man, you just got cut. That fucking sucks. That would fucking suck. You lost your job. You got fired. You got fired in front of everybody, right? Mm-hmm. But getting traded, that's part of the business, man. So and why do you why do you think Draymond like Draymond's super smart? And by the way, this if this speech this rant did nothing else but solidified he's got a golden ticket in the media. Like public speaking, Draymond Green is just awesome. Like there are things I would sit there and listen to Draymond Green talk for a half hour, even if the the content of what he's saying, the material of what he's saying might be a, a slightly off. I thought I was like, man, I am just I'm in it for every word that he says. Yeah. No, and he brings up like I'm not here to say Draymond's out talking out of his mind. He brought up a lot of great points, and part of like being a, a rational adult is being able to hear someone speak say, "Yo, I agree with all that. I don't quite agree with this part. Ah, this part you kind of leaving some context out." But yo, that was a great point there. That's natural. I shouldn't say stuff that you should agree with 100. You agree with everything I say. There's something wrong. There's a lack of critical thought there. But the idea is that I'm not react. I'm not because this is what happens a lot. Draymond says that stuff, and everyone's like, "Yeah, you tell him, Draymond," as if everything he said was 100 percent true. Or, "Oh, this guy's an asshole. Yeah. Oh, why don't you just shut up and play basketball?" As I- if everything he said was false. And the reality is, no. It's, <laughs> it's you can, there's nuance in what he's saying, and we're free to accept and reject different parts. So I saw Stephen A talk about this earlier today and he was backing Draymond and saying he's right. Like there's a double standard here. And I want to ask you about this aspect of it which is the race element of here of this situation is the optics of a black player being told not to play for a front office generally speaking and I want to make this point generally speaking it's white power brokers or or decision makers in the league and uh, African-American players. Whereas in this situation, it's interesting is Andre Drummond plays for a black head coach and a black top decision maker in Kobe Altman. The Mm -hmm. same thing with Blake Griffin is Dwayne Casey is the head coach, a black head coach. And Troy Weaver is a black, uh, is is the black. He's a general manager. He's not the lead decision maker. But, is a general manager. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So I want to I want to address that here too. Is is I think why this feels so I don't know. Um, it just strikes a chord with Draymond is is that there is this kind of uh, unfairness to it that I think I think what he's getting at is like this is dehumanizing. We're not being treated as human beings. We're being treated as, as property or as as a commodity. This is a human issue is, is a workplace issue that we should hold teams just as accountable as, as they are holding James Harden accountable. And I do think that when Stephen A brings in the the race element into this, we should address that too. Is, do you feel that the substance of what Draymond is complaining about is a racial bias or a racial discrimination against players? That's, that's tough. I'm going to tell you why. 
because a it's 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 this is every professional sport every professional sport in every country we i we go to to nigeria and look at their domestic league in any sport same thing right it's they're not employees they're independent contractors right and their services uh, can be transferred from employer to employer. And that's not something that was just came down from up above. That's something that's collectively bargained, right? Um, bigger picture, and I wish Waz were here with us to talk about this, this is also capitalism. There's the workers and there's the capitalists. And the workers in exchange for wages, provide, you know, services, labor for the capitalists to profit off of. The capitalists, um, their creed or whatever is, I'm going to spend this much money on labor, on raw materials, on marketing, on all that, in order to sell the product upon which I will be made whole and I'm going to make some money on top of that. To kind of talk about from a, like th- what the players are going through from that standpoint would ignore what literally every other person who works for someone is going through, right? The, the, the kid working the fries at McDonald's, the, uh, the, you know, the receptionist at your dentist's office. Uh, the guy working the assembly line at the, at a at a the auto plant. We all got shitty parts to our jobs that may not be the most convenient from a human life standpoint, right? In terms of getting laid off, right? right. You didn't do anything wrong, right. but or or I'll give you a great example, Tom. A lot of NBA teams, a lot of sports teams, furloughing employees, right? The Phoenix Suns, I believe, furloughed something like 75% of their of their employees. And you say, okay, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is if you furlough someone long enough, you know these people who aren't making millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars, at some point they're going to go have to find another job right. to make right. ends meet. Right. And when they do that, you are absolved of your responsibility to pay them any unemployment. If you laid them off, you'd have to start paying them unemployment and severance and all that. But if you don't lay them off, if you furlough them, it's like hitting a pause button on having to pay them. And forcing and their pause, hand to go find another job and thereby. Exactly. thereby and, and so and so you, didn't, you ain't had to pay out. And so – it's shitty work conditions for all of us who are not the boss or the capitalist or the owner of the business, right? And, and I'm not saying this as like I'm trying to do some communist kind of uh, rhetoric because at the, at, the, at the same time, if you are the owner or the boss, you are inheriting a certain amount of risk, right? Um, Joe Lacob has to pay Draymond Green every two weeks. You got to do that. It's in the contract. Yeah. And if Draymond gets traded, 
the the next team owner that he, he plays for has to keep paying that on time. It doesn't so, matter, you know, yeah. so so it doesn't matter kind of like, oh hey man, by the way, uh business has been bad. Like, ah, your money, your money has gone. And when they when they ended up not paying them their full money, it's because what? Did they just unilaterally decide, yo, sorry, Draymond, I ain't got it. Because a, a pandemic, a global pandemic, we can all accept that a global pandemic is just unforeseen and terrible. Well, guess what? I'm just going to pay you this. They couldn't do that. What do they need to do in order to do to pay guys less or withhold some of their checks? They had to collectively yeah. bargain it. Yep. It has to be an agreement to- between the Players Association and the NBA, negotiate yeah. the terms by which they will operate. And that's, so I, that's what that, Draymond that's- is arguing for is that, hey, this ain't right. And then what you're saying is, yeah, but you agree to this system. And so it this doesn't mean that there isn't an injustice going or an unfair uh, element to this whole thing. It's just, hey, like this is the agreement. This is the business. Is These were the terms that your players association – and by the way, a lot of people were saying – uh, I think Jared Dudley even said it was like, yo, this guy needs to be on the Players Association execu- executive committee. And I thought, wait, he's not? Like Draymond Green, yeah. I feel like, is like one of the most outspoken uh, player right advocates in the NBA. And yet he's not in the executive committee? And a smart guy. That's the other thing, right? Like he's a smart guy. This is absolutely someone who should be more involved. Uh, maybe he's a player rep. I don't wait. Let me, let me look it up real quick, actually. Hold on. Because uh, I was surprised. I was like, well, Draymond obviously is in those talks, like in those meetings with the league. Like, come on. Hold on. I mean, obviously, you know, look, he's he's really close with LeBron. And, you know, he's a clutch sports employee. So that's not going to be an issue for him to kind of be in those conversations. Yeah. No, he's not even a rep. The reps are Kevon Looney and uh, and Eric Paschal. So, so. – so the other the other element here is um, Andre yeah, Drummond and Blake Griffin aren't. aren't shout, out, shout out to the Pistons who don't have a rep or an alternate, by the way. Really, Jesus. Yeah. Okay, um, we've talked about this before. The, the player rep is really just like a rookie hazing thing, isn't it? It's just like it's, up, it's either it's it's one of two things: either hazing or you really give a shit right so right. for instance philadelphia the rep is tobias harris and the alternate is danny green like, they give a shit those yeah. guys give a shit right the knicks the rep is taj gibson who has been multiple teams now he's been a rep he gives a shit lakers jared dudley right memphis jaron jackson jr and then you have the pacers goga patadze <laughs> the, the, the Cavs, dylan Sorry. windler yeah. yeah the bulls luke Cornette. is he even still in the league so i i I think we need to talk about this other element here is Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin have not played well this year. So the fact that they are willing or their agents, their representation are willing to abide by this agreement tells you something is that they probably weren't having a good time anyway. Like the situation, they were not happy with it. So this seems like a a compromise or an outcome that was amenable, especially when it comes to Blake Griffin. Like Blake Griffin put out a statement saying essentially – I'm grateful for the Pistons to uh, to concede that this situation isn't working out and they're trying to find a better situation for me. Whereas Andre Drummond, like the Cavs are are a dumpster fire right now. In the eight games that Andre Drummond has – last eight games that they've suited up, uh, Andre Drummond, 
they've lost, I think, seven of them by double digits. It's an absolute massacre over there, right? So Andre Drummond and Jarrett Allen on the floor together. I looked this up, I mean. Why would they ever be on the floor together? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I know they have been, but I'm just saying, why would that ever be a decision that someone makes? Because they sorry. traded for Jared Allen without realizing, oh, we have, we have to pay Andre Drummond $30 million a year too. We kind of have to play him. Like the Larry Nance is out and they, they have three centers, JaVale McGee, Andre Drummond, and, and Jared Allen for like not enough spots. They don't have a reliable four. So they play Andre Drummond next to Jared Allen and it is an, an unmitigated disaster. Their defensive rating in 75 minutes, 75 minutes on the floor, the defensive rating with Drummond and Jared Allen on the floor together was 146.2, I mean, 146.2. That's 10 points worse than the next worst duo in the league. It's that's like so it's like 136 is unheard of and they were 146. Like that's a major league baseball player instead of hitting 200 he's he's hitting like 50, right? It's insane. So so the Cavs are like, "All right, we'll try this Andre Drummond and Jared Allen thing just to appease, you know, Drummond who who wants to play. He wants to play." Um and and so I mean it it's just bad. And then Blake Griffin uh he has two blocks this season. They're kind of by accident. I watched the film on those two blocks. Uh, I love it. <laughs> They're kind of by accident. And then he has three goaltends. I mean, he has three goaltends, which is just about as much as like, I don't give an F um, as it gets on defense. It's just like, I'm just going to swat this thing on. Um, and he has two blocks. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's the only player in the NBA with like a net negative on goaltends versus blocks. Um, and it, like, he's... All- Oh, let me let me also get, let me throw in my my fun stat that I told you on the phone yesterday. Uh, let's see, yeah, Blake Griffin has the third worst field goal percentage among any player playing at least thirty minutes per game. It's rough. He hasn't dunked yeah, since yeah. twenty nineteen. Blake Griffin appears to be a shell of himself. Like I, I don't know what the market is going to be for him. These the both these situations seem to me to be a buyout situation. Drummond much more likely yeah. to be traded. But when you have Blake Griffin who's owed $34 million this year and $39 million next year, he has a player option, which, yes, he's going to pick that up. Um, that's going to be hard to trade. So this seems like but, we're, he was see, forcing their hand. Like, I'm, I'm, I need to be bought out. Let me sign somewhere. And sure enough, the Detroit Pistons have another Greg Monroe, Josh Smith problem on their hands. Who has the leverage, you think, in this situation? In terms of buyout, will the player give up more money to be free to play wherever or will the team give up or pay out more of the money, a higher percentage, just to rid themselves of this situation? I think the team has more power. Team just goes, all right, go home and we'll try to find something for you. See, if I'm Blake Griffin, because that's the worst – you're Blake Griffin. That's the worst possible – well, not the worst possible scenario. I guess is having to give up a lot of money to just to be free. But the next worst scenario is they just put you on a shelf and you disappear forever. And this goes back to my whole – this is where you got to make a mess. This is – what Carmelo did was he went home and was quiet and he played, he played nice and just waited for the Rockets right. to do something. Whereas Blake Griffin could just like detonate. Well, it doesn't sound. It doesn't sound. By the way, there's there's something else you have to you have to um, 
keep in mind here. Oh, no, never mind. Sorry. So, Go ahead. Sorry. I yeah, like, like Blake Griffin could just detonate the locker room and make things very uncomfortable for the players, not play defense, you know, take bad shots. Like it can be, it can be a mess. Oh, yeah. You mean like what he's been doing right now? <laughs> so like, all right, Boris Diaw ostensibly did similar in Charlotte where it was like, this guy's toast. This guy's done, right? Yeah, he's put but, on 30 but, but, pounds and he's a slob now. Like, yeah, he's Boris Diaw, but like how much does he really have left? And then magically for like the first two games in the finals, he's like a finals MVP candidate with San Antonio. So do you see that for Blake Griffin here in the right situation a lot of things can go wrong here, but if Blake basically, if you're a team, I mean, and he's been bought out, do you use a roster spot? Like if you're the Golden State Warriors and you have uh, Michael Mulder, they have a couple other players who are like struggling prospects who may, they could waive. Do you create a spot for Blake Griffin? If you're a winning team or a championship contending team. There, there's a big difference, right? There's, there's a couple of big differences between Boris and, uh, and Blake Griffin, right, in those situations. First and foremost, obviously, how much time and how much money was left on Boris's deal. That, that, that makes a difference. Boris not necessarily having health concerns. Yeah, he was out of shape, but he didn't have – he wasn't a broken player, right? Uh, Boris having been, you know – to say Boris go play for San Antonio, it's not like that was asking him to take a huge step down from a role that he was accustomed to playing, right? Kind of a complimentary guy for almost his entire career, save for like a couple of months here in Phoenix and a couple of months there, you know, or you know, a couple of games here or there. But for the most part, he's a complimentary guy. Blake Griffin is we're dealing with damaged goods in terms of his body. Right. We're dealing with someone who. Uh, who yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm pausing right here because I found the, the contract. Yeah. Boris was in the final year of his contract and owed about two million of his original nine million dollars this, this season. So to get to a buyout for Boris on two million dollars remaining wasn't that hard. No. Right. Like, OK, so so he took one, even if he took like 10 grand. He lost out on $2 million. That, that, that's not as big a deal as Blake Griffin talking about 30-some-odd million dollars, right? But going back to what I was saying about Blake, you're asking him to take a buyout, go sign for minimum somewhere, and then have to play a role that he's never played, not one time in his career. He came in the golden boy. He's been the golden boy since 2009, went healthy. So now you're saying, no, 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 we just need you to facilitate and do all this other stuff, which he can do. But then we go back to the natural Blake Griffin kind of uh, shortcomings, if you will, right? Blake Griffin, not a good rebounder. Blake Griffin, a bad defensive player. Who might be, who Blake, might be, you know, washed up athletically. Like can't, can't, uh, no, can't I mean, cover his tracks yeah, defensively. Well, yeah, well, Beyond the physical, beyond the physical that we've already discussed, even yeah. when he was a hundred percent jumping out the gym, mm-hmm. not a good defensive player. Even when he's a hundred percent jumping out the gym, pretty early on he ceased to be a great rebounding player. Like his first four years or so, excellent rebounder, and then somewhere around there, it's like okay, 
it just it just went away, which you never really see, right? Blake Griffin, not a good shooter, right? This isn't Tim Thomas. We're like, well, fuck, he'll light it up from three. This is a guy who's shooting 31% from three on the year, and for his career, shoots what? 33%. His best three-point shooting year with volume, 36%. Right? So yeah, and that was with Detroit. Start, yeah, that was with Detroit a couple of years ago, like his last All Star year. So it's like, okay, so I'm gonna go out and compete for the services of a broken down dude who hasn't dunked since December of 2019, who can't shoot, who can't defend, who can't rebound, but he's a hell of a passer, and he's friends with Will Ferrell. <laughs> <laughs> like and, and I, I don't mean yeah. again. I don't. I don't want to yeah. be mean, right? Yeah. Because I think. Well, like, could he play? work in Milwaukee, for example? If you had two bigs who can defend at a high level, do what? He's not going to dunk it. He's not going to hit threes. What's he doing? Just being a, a playmaker. Okay, but is that? I'd rather just give it to Giannis at that point, or Middleton, right? Like I'd rather. You'd be let taking. Those guys. He would be taking Bobby Portis or. Uh, Connaughton's minutes, right? Yeah, so. but Bobby, but but that's the difference. Is see, that's the difference, right? You could say that it'll take Bobby Portis's minutes, but I know Bobby Portis defends. I know Bobby Portis rebounds, mm-hmm. and I know Bobby Portis hits threes. He's at what's he shooting like forty eight? I'll just look this up right now. I knew he's shooting well. I didn't know he's shooting forty eight percent from three this year. Yeah. So it's just like it's tough to find a landing spot. Like what you're saying is right. Is like any situation you're going to show me the team that needs a guy who can't dunk and can't shoot, but is a really good passer. Maybe it's Golden State, to be honest with you, because they've had that before. Right. Uh, Sean Livingston wasn't a a great finisher. I'm going to take that back because Sean Livingston was like number one in the league at post ups the year before he got to Golden State. Andre Iguodala. Maybe that's a comp, but Andre Godal's a way better playmaker. Andre Godal's oh, and defender, like I mean, come on, Isn't and it? an elite defender. And Sean Livingston was a, a, a great defensive player too. So it's just like I don't know the situation. And given that, if I'm Blake Griffin, hell yeah, I want every last dollar, every last dollar. I'm not giving up a cent. Portland. Again, what's he taking? Rodney Hood minutes? Derek Jones? I'm telling you, man. Like it used to, when you start to think about it in the context of a big who doesn't shoot threes, doesn't rebound, doesn't finish at the rim anymore, and doesn't defend. Yeah, that's not well, a good situation. I just, I just think he's a better. Sh- I mean, he's, I think he's a better shooter than he has shown, and I would certainly hope how, he's. I mean, he's. Good? I would say. I mean, I would say he's well, better than Draymond. I would say if if very, the if the Warriors signed him, I wouldn't be upset with that. In the same way that like mind, when the career high, but hold on, bearing in mind his career high, the best he's yeah. ever been at it was thirty six. How much better of a shooter is? He? I think he's that. You think he's a thirty six? You think he's his career high? That good. His career high over and over again. I'm saying in a better situation, if you're giving him more open looks that Steph Curry would give him, yeah, I think he would be a better shooter. I mean, I I, I I think he's a better – he's developed himself into a better shooter. But the last two years when he's just 
I think he's been wanting out. I don't think his heart's been in it, but that's not an excuse. Like that might be it. That might be uh, what he is now. It, it might be. It might be it. It might be. It might. It might be it. My thing is, if you're a team and you're doing the, these mental mathematics, right? Yeah. Let's say Golden State. Let's just take Golden State for an example. Hey, you're gonna get wide open feet set threes. Um, yeah. And and your passing is really gonna help us because we are a passing dominant offense, right? Okay. Gets there and turns out some of the stuff ain't about his heart not being in it. Some of the stuff is just he can't do it anymore. He can't like he can't rebound. He can't defend whatever. Meanwhile, he's taking minutes from Looney, who was out now, so it doesn't really matter. Pascal, Wiseman. At what point do you say, wait a second, we're like a barely above 500 team in the middle of the Western Conference playoff picture with little realistic hope of winning a title this year why am i taking minutes away from three bigs that i really like that are developing well and that do do other things for this guy like he's so so yeah you're you're making the point that blake griffin by virtue of knowing that no one else wants him he's got the leverage you get absolutely like y'all want me to get out of here give me all my money because ultimately, if he just sits at home like they want him to, that's what's happening, right? Y'all don't want to give me my money. You're telling me I'm going to sit home? Okay, I'll sit home. And you end up giving me all my money anyway. Or you could just wave me right now, stretch wave me, get you a little savings on the back end. Mm-hmm. And now I'm out of your hair and you've got a little bit more breathing room. And we can all go about our lives. That's if I'm if I'm Blake Griffin. That's my approach, because I just don't know. As I try to imagine what team could use his skill set, assuming he's a better shooter than what he's shown, and assuming he's a better rebounder than what he's shown. How about that? I'll give you. He, he might be able to bring those rebounding numbers back up. Although again, I must say mm. he hasn't done it in a while. But he said, "I can rebound for you. I can shoot, and I'm a great passer." That one's not in question. My playmaking is pretty high up there for, for, for bigs. If you say that, then what's the team that could use him where he'll be a difference maker? I mean, at this point, Blake Griffin is not going to be a difference difference maker, right? No, I mean like a difference maker from a buyout perspective, right? You don't get all-stars in the buyout. You right. get guys who used to be good but now can – contribute to you. Would you rather have Markeith Morris or Blake Griffin? Markeith. Yeah. Right now, because the Lakers' big problem is the opposite of what they had. Last year, they had an abundance of of depth at the big position defensively. Now, they're kind of short-staffed there, and Markeith is a guy who guards bigger than what he he is. So, I'd rather have Markeith. I think I would, too. Dallas? Yeah, but they 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 need defense. Like, yeah. poor, but, like their defense know. is a is an abomination, right? Yeah. So they, but, they, but, I mean, maybe you double down on that and be like, "Yo, yeah. if, but if we're gonna suck already. Defense. We might as well bring yeah. in a guy who can." Um, that might work. Yeah, I think I think Dallas might work, and especially uh, given that you know one of the things I don't know if Dallas feels this way, but I certainly feel this way. As great as Luca is as a playmaker. They gotta find ways to get him off the ball because for a variety just, of reasons. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they gotta get him off the ball. 
Um, so you'd be taking well, James Johnson's business, uh, minutes there. Who hasn't played well. Like you, no one's no one's gonna weep for James Johnson. Uh, Denver, another one of the all in. Hey, hey. We're, all, we're all ready. But the, the, but, the, the Titanic, the hole is we're we're already sinking. So we what, yeah. what's what's a larger hole defensively, right? Yeah. Um, uh, there's not a uh, lot. Of, I mean, San, San Antonio. Ooh. I mean, if there's anywhere where they're good at hiding your flaws, it'd be the Spurs. Utah's another one. Yeah, Utah it's I thought some, about, but um, yeah. yeah, Utah makes some sense. It's just whether Utah wants to like switch things up or just keep riding what they got, right? Like, is it a risk to add Blake Griffin to your team? I, I, I don't think and so. That, and that's the other part. Like, how receptive is he to the idea of all right you might not play every night right is he looking for a situation where i'm going to get steady minutes every single night i think san antonio makes a lot of sense just as as if if nothing else to keep that fountain of youth reputation go alive like the boris diao uh i mean we could name a whole bunch of players that they've revived their careers at the end. And you're like, how is that possible? Rudy um, Gay. Yeah. Rudy Gay post Achilles there. So, um, Draymond's, I love, I love, I mean, it went viral. I mean, it, it struck a chord with Draymond and obviously whatever discussion he had with, with Drummond before the game. Uh, I'm imagining Drummond said something like, yeah, my agent and I agree to it, but no, nah, man, this, we were forced. Our hand was forced here for whatever reason. Like I, I agreed to to sit out, and Draymond was not having about having that. So it's good that these these discussions happen because I think it raises a lot of uh, player inequity that we we take for granted. Um, we just assume. I think when you look at the the replies to Draymond Green's speech, you see that the average Joe fan thinks, "Hey, you're millionaires. If I could be a millionaire to play a game, I'd shut my ass up, right?" But what Draymond is saying is not that like I'm this is worth me sitting out and and I'm I'm gonna protest against this. It's just like he's he's shedding light on an issue that a lot of players feel, which is there's a double standard that teams can act on on their own volition on on player trades, player buyouts, player whatever it is, but as soon as players start um talking or what? chirping, they get they get ostracized. Well, I, th- I think the, the important distinction is that they, they really can't act on their own volition, right? They really can't. So if there were a player who wanted to play and the team, you know, if, if you know. Like if, but like Drummond does want to play, though. And yeah, that's Drum- the weird thing Drummond, is, like, Drummond agreed to this. He agreed to it. That's my point. That's my point. Yeah. If he didn't agree to it, then he could make us think about it. And now that probably hastened his departure, but because he agreed to it, I mean, there's, there's not much to say about that. Now, if they sent him home, they said go home, stay away. He could file a grievance. The player association could file a grievance, right? My guy's been nothing but professional and a good guy, and they sent me home, and that's a knock on my reputation as a player, and that hurts my ability for future employment. Because people are going to ask, 
what did he do so bad where they could even have him around the team? And hell, like even the thing I'm talking about, like being a jerk, that can also be a, an impediment. Yeah, I could do that. I'll get let go. But then what? Now I have this reputation around the league and I'm not James Harden, an MVP, right? I'm Andre Drummond, former all-star, good player. But nobody's going to line up for, for me if, I, if I'm perceived as a cancer. And now the longer he sits, I mean, the less valuable he becomes because he's not playing. He's not in game shape. And this is what Draymond alluded to this as well is the fact that the longer these guys have to stay sideline, they have to stay in shape and game ready, but they're not playing every day. So if you're going to sign Andre Drummond to be a real rotation player, it might be a while before he gets integrated into the, into the team and there are no practices this year. So it's like, man, it's the longer that he sits, the less likely he is to be able to contribute right away. So it's a, it's an ugly situation. At the end of the day, if Andre Drummond played up to his abilities or uh, played very well, I think he'd have a lot of suitors out on the market. Cleveland, for whatever reason, didn't strike a deal to trade Andre Drummond before the Jared Allen trade, or they, they might not have had a market for him. But they could have done that. They could have traded Andre Drummond before I'm Jared a, Allen, and this would have been averted. I'm going to push back on that. I'm an NBA team. I like Andre Drummond. Buy out Andre Drummond. I do not like trade Andre Drummond. Yeah. That's He's, just how I feel. Yeah. NS Cantor with, uh, with New York Knicks, with his contract. Portland's not interested trading. But as soon as he becomes a buyout, yeah, yeah, now we're talking. They bring him in twice? Yeah. That's how much they like Cantor. They brought him in twice? Yeah. And, 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 and that's the part. Tom, there's a big disconnect. Yep. There's like that that's where that's where this this gets really, really funny, right? Because you know what this really all is? This is the terrible this is this is gonna sound great. This is the max salary coming back to haunt. Right? Because we have maximum salaries, I can't pay LeBron eighty million dollars a year, right? I can't pay Steph Curry seventy five million dollars a year, right? I have to pay them the maximum they can, but then I still have to pay the the the, the players forty nine to fifty one percent of that. So that money that I would have been paying this way has to get redistributed. It gets redistributed to players who are good players, right? But at some point, what they cost and what their actual value is to the team, there's an incongruency there, right? So now, when they're in this situation. You say, you tell me nobody wants Andre Drummond? No, I would say probably like 29 teams want Andre Drummond, but not at that price. Yeah. And the difference is when you get to the uh, the buyout market, you can, you can wait your way down, right? As opposed to just in general, well, that's the price it takes to get them. It was like, well, what if I told you Black Friday sale happens right after the, the, the trade deadline's over? Well, now, now you go get it for 75% off, 90% off, right? If I told you, Tom, hey, there's this new uh, uh, Sony TV. It is virtual reality, right? It's a TV, but when you put it on, you, you feel like you're there, right? You Sensations, everything. Porn on this thing is amazing. Trust me. I mean, why do we have to do the porn thing again? I have to do the porn thing. Always got to do the porn thing. This TV costs $10,000, Tom. 
Now, would you agree that this TV sounds like a pretty amazing product? Yeah, but uh, yeah. at that price tag, $10,000? Yeah, right. Okay, so what have I told you? Okay, here's the deal. It's going to be on sale until March 25th for $10,000. After March 25th, we're doing first come, first serve, 20 bucks. Okay, now we're talking. Right? Like, that's that's what Andre Drummond is. It's not that nobody wants it. It's that, wait, wait, wait. you telling me if I just wait a little bit? Now, it might get sold out. It might get sold out. Someone might say $10,000 ain't nothing. Rah. Give it to me. And then in which case, you don't get it. But. Yeah, like Toronto Raptors, are they going to give up half their roster? Because that's what it would take to get right. Andre Drummond. Or they wait and try to convince me, Andre Drummond to sign with them for, for a championship run, right? Let me, let, me, let me ask you something from a very philosophical place, right? Do you think the NBA should do away with the salary matching rules for trades? <sighs> Make it a free market? Just a free no, like just do trades like we used to. I trade a guy yeah. for whatever I see value. I don't have to make salaries match. So for instance, if I'm if I'm the Raptor. Right. I don't right. have to throw in four mid level contracts to get to his no. number at twenty eight. I can tr- I can trade them uh Aaron Norman Baines, Powell and a yeah, or yeah. A, like Aaron Payne's in a first. Yeah. For Andre Drummond. I mean, I think I think so. I think at the very least, you should loosen up those rules because if you can sweeten deals with first round picks or cash, I think I think the big thing, Tom, is that why are we like when teams do deals? We already have a situation now. Ninety percent of trades, I would say, are one team got the best player for right now, and the other team got a bunch of kind of like. Lotto cards. Right. James Harden goes to the Nets for a bunch of lotto cards, right? A lotto card, like some picks and maybe this young player who might turn into something or this young player that I could turn into something else, right? Right. That's the anatomy of almost every single NBA trade. Every once in a while you get star for star, right? Every once in a while you do. But for the most part, this is how we do it. So the teams already know on both sides what kind of value they're trying to extract. No one's out here just trading their best player for nothing, right? Not because the salaries don't match. They're not trading for nothing because they want value back for it. So if that's the case, why do we need the? Why do we need that? Why do we need a, a salary matching mechanism in there? Hey, it's Tom here. I just want to take a quick time out here to talk to you about something special we do every week, Wednesday, nine p.m. We do a live Haber show podcast on the stereo app that's the stereo app where you can drop in ask us questions leave voicemails leave voice messages uh, play some trivia ask us questions about the games that are playing that night Uh, we do it every wednesday night 9 p.m eastern on the stereo app that's s-t-e-r-e-o wherever you download uh, apps to your phone it's super fun um, the other night we answered, I think over 50 questions from the audience. And before that, I think we did over 80. We did this marathon, three hours, just a live show. Uh, Amin and I just riffing with the audience. So, uh, every Wednesday, nine o'clock Eastern on the stereo app, download it, 
at me. I'm at Haberstro, H-A-B-E-R-S-T-R-O-H, and go at Amin, at Darth Amin. Come hang out with us every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, on the Stereo app. Watch the games, riff with us, do some trivia. Let's do it. All right. Welcome to the Haber Show. Uh, we've got a very special guest here. I say this every time, but I truly feel like we have someone who's uh, way smarter than both Amin and I combined. Uh, Brian Suterer from, um, from YouTube, also on Twitter. Uh, the Sports Doc, this guy is brilliant. He's a lot of fun to watch on YouTube. He explains things so clearly and concisely and has a lot of visuals and he makes me so much smarter about NBA injuries. And I go on his YouTube page, I mean, and I find out that like, he's not just NBA injuries. He does baseball. He does football. He does like all these different sports. And every time I watch these videos, I mean, I feel like, man, why aren't there more of these guys? Because it's such a value here in the, in the, you know, betting world or fantasy or just in general like hey what's going on with anthony davis like it's so good to have him here no absolutely you know i i was talking about this you know most of the time we're just taking the team's word for it right like ah they say it's tendonitis all right cool uh and so watching videos like brian's is like well actually and uh, you know getting those kind of explanations i think they're, they're crucial like you said, for whatever aspect you're going about this, whether you're a fan and just wants to know more about your favorite player, whether you're media people like us trying to cover the game more intelligently, whether you're better and you've got money on the line, it always helps to have someone, an expert, explain these things to you. So at least we can understand what's happening rather than his Achilles hurts, like, <laughs> which is what we've been getting so far. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, guys. I appreciate you having me on here. It's, uh, it's nice to hear that because that's the whole goal. You know, I want to I want to teach people. I want people to get interested in learning. And it's perfect to be able to combine my interest and love of sports with a love for teaching and medicine. And so that that really means a lot to hear. I appreciate it. So let's just jump right into it here. Anthony yeah. Davis seems to have all these chronic injuries to his body. You've been you've been following his injury uh, history for a long time. And now the latest is what initially was described as Achilles tendinosis. And I have, don't know if I have much familiarity with that terminology. So can you just tell me why I should care about the verbiage here of Achilles tendinosis versus what I think most people hear is tendinitis, Achilles tendinitis. And then yeah. tonight we find out calf strain, like the word calf strain is being thrown around. So when <laughs> right. you see all these different terms, do they all mean the same thing or should fans really care about the distinction between the three calf strain, tendinosis and tendinitis? They don't mean the same. And that's where some of this is frustrating. There certainly is a general similarity, but there is a lot of nuance in the specifics tendinitis versus tendinitis, tendinosis, and even AD himself said after the Memphis game that it wasn't actually his tendon. He made this comment of it's it's the thing that's over the tendon. Well, guess what? There's a different structure <laughs> that's over the tendon. And so now it, that's what it can be kind of frustrating when you hear all these different words because, yeah, they're all referring to the Achilles, but they all mean something different. So if we go back historically, all of this kind of began as tendonitis. Whenever doctors would see somebody with pain in their Achilles, we just chalked it up to inflammation, which is what the itis means. So yeah. when you hear something itis, that means inflammation. 
But for that to be true, there has to be inflammatory cells. There's stuff that actually happens at a cellular level to cause that inflammation. Well, fast forward, and we found out that there wasn't necessarily always inflammation in the tendon when we were describing tendonitis. And so then you started to hear kind of some different words being used. Probably the most appropriate general term is just tendinopathy. So the opathy means sort of disease, damage, you know, something wrong with with the tendon. Like, right, exactly. Patellar tendinopathy. So the tendinopathy is just kind of a, gen, a general term to describe something's abnormal with the tendon. When we hear tendinosis, if I have a patient and, and they tell me, doc, I've got a history of tendinosis, that to me says that on a level of the collagen in the tendon, there's actually degeneration. There's some disorganization. Ideally, a tendon is these nice kind of tightly wound collagen fibers that are all sort of in a nice parallel line. But over time, they can sort of degenerate. They can kind of fray across one another. They can swell up. And so that's when we start to see the osis piece come in. And so when I hear tendinosis, I think more degeneration, damage to the tendon, as opposed to just tendinitis says, well, maybe the tendon's not so degenerated, it's just a little bit irritated and inflamed. So I I don't envy the teams because they're trying to explain nuance in kind of these simple words, but there definitely is difference in what you're actually describing it as. Well, Doc, so again, for the layman, it sounds like tendinosis is a lot worse. I mean, or or, or can you recover recover from degradation of of the of the of the fibers yeah you can because uh, i know Definitely. inflammation can go down okay yeah All right. you so, can and and how we do that is we we actually put load through the tendon because the tendons respond to whenever they're stressed and loaded they basically mm-hmm. reorganize those fibers to get back in proper alignment oh. and so it's the same sort of thing with with jumper's knee like patellar tendinopathy that frequently you know we don't have to do surgery you rest it, you rehab, and over time, those fibers sort of reorganize and reform in a proper way to heal the injury. The thing that makes it a little more concerning is it usually implies more long-term as opposed to tendonitis is kind of more short-term. So that's kind of where some of that nuance comes in. How do the symptoms differ between tendonitis and tendonitis and tendonosis? Similar symptoms. You're going to have pain in that area. It's going to limit you when you're walking, when you're running. And that's why it can kind of be hard to initially diagnose because unless you look with an MRI, you look with an ultrasound, it can be hard to tell exactly what's going on in those tendon fibers. Um, But they're going to really kind of be treated in the same sort of matter and they're going to present the same type of way. So initially when this was described as uh, Achilles tendinosis, I kind of had to look it up and what that meant. Um, What was interesting to me about this injury was AD kind of not not disagreed or confused the the diagnosis, but he was insistent saying this isn't scary. This isn't like the Achilles guys. Like, calm down. Yep. And now after this MRI, it's almost like the verbiage, the the, the language has changed. Before mm-hmm. Anthony Davis was saying, "Look, there's nothing to worry about here. Like, I'm not going to rest. Like, come on. Like, I get paid lots of money to go play basketball. I'm not going to sit this out." And now I think the language has changed to the point of, I need to be smart about this, which tells me he's going to be out for a while. 
I anticipate he's going to be out a little bit longer than maybe we initially think just because for one, you know, if the Lakers are in a position where they don't have to win night after night, you're going to be smarter. You know, this isn't, this isn't a game seven of the NBA finals. And there certainly are those decisions that factor into these teams when they're talking about the risks with the player. Is this game one of the year versus we need to win or go home in the playoffs? And and so that kind of comes into play a little bit. The interesting thing that AD said though, when he was so insistent that this wasn't the tendon itself, it was this thing over the tendon. Is of course this is more complicated than even just the, those collagen fibers. They're wrapped in tissue that helps supply some blood, some nutrients. So they've got this lining that goes around those fibers. And sure enough, that lining can become inflamed. It can become a little bit irritated to where there's not really even anything wrong with the fibers of the tendon itself. It's just that lining around the tendon. And so that's kind of what I was wondering when he said, it's not the tendon, it's the thing that's going on. But then you have the Lakers saying it's tendinosis. So it's, it's again, kind of this, well, they're all probably trying to describe the thing, same thing, but using different words, more or less. Tom, did you know what a, an Achilles tendon looked like on the inside? Because I didn't until I watched uh, Brian's video. <laughs> no. Like that it was, that it was, it's collagen fibers that are bound together. And then those groupings are then bound together. It's, yeah, it's, it's, all, it's exactly like rope, right? Yeah, it's like rope. And it's like muscle too. So muscle fibers are the same way. You have individual muscle cells that actually span the entire length of the muscle. And then those muscle cells are bundled together into these muscle fascicles, those are bundled together. And so it's kind of this interwoven kind of rope structure. And the interesting thing with the Achilles is those fibers actually rotate as it goes from your calf muscle down to the heel. And it's not just in a straight line. So there's almost like this mm. twisting kind of recoiling like mechanism. A spiral, that you also get, like a yep, spiral staircase? Like a spiral. Yep, exactly. Mm. Um, and so that's what, you know, that's what these surgeons, that's what all these docs are trying to, you know, tease through when they're treating them. They're looking at the images. And so it's, I think people hear uh, it's an Achilles, no big deal, but there really is a lot more kind of nuance that goes into this type of stuff for sure. I mean, when you were with the Suns, did you have to, meet up when there was big injury did you have to do some like damage control pr wise it's like hey we've got to really think about how we describe this injury probably what's the statute of limitations um (laughs) yes we had we had a player who we had a player who would absolutely fail any sort of physical if you ran it like an mri on his knee but he was fine. Like he's absolutely fine. That's a great, that's a great lesson though. That's, that's a really important thing to bring up because we see that a lot in medicine, not just, not just athletes, but in general, you know, you go and you, you have some weird kind of mild ache. It's not really bothering you. It gets better. If you go look, sometimes it actually makes things more complicated because you're right. You find things, you find some cartilage chipped, you find a little meniscus tear that doesn't mean anything because they're not having symptoms. And so there's no sense in, you know, scaring people, telling people that. Um, That's something we encounter every day with people getting these kind of unknown, what do we do about it? It's not really causing problems um, types of things. Yeah, because when I see this, what's the wildest, what's the wildest injury that I, I've been a part of? Yeah, that that you've known about that wasn't public. Why don't we just why don't we just go there? Um, <laughs> oh, no, no, let's just move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's not talk about that. I'm gonna grill you, Amin, and then when you throw it back at me, I'm just gonna sidestep this. No, I, I think the elephant in the room here is KD. 
is when KD had a calf strain uh, in a muscle, sorry, it's a muscle strain, right? Not a sprain, correct? Yeah, a muscle, a muscle and a tendon strain, a ligament sprains. Yep. Okay. So when, when he was out May 8th last year in the playoffs, um, after taking a jumper and then running back on defense, and then he, uh, he looked back at his, his Achilles, his ankle. And that is such a classic Achilles rupture is so many times we've seen in the NBA where a player looks down at their ankle thinking that someone just like stepped on their ankle or, 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 or yeah. hit them across their ankle um, when nothing actually happened, it was just the Achilles snap, right? And there wasn't this, this bludgeon to their, to their leg. And then he just like kind of hopped around on one leg and limped off the floor. And the, and the diagnosis at that time was a calf strain. And mm-hmm. so everyone was thinking, oh my goodness, Achilles tear, Achilles tear. He looked back like that, that's a classic case. And then he was out for not a week, which you might think a mild calf strain in, in the playoffs would be, but he was out for a month. Um, yeah. And so when he snapped his Achilles in the finals in game five, I had a lot of people in the league saying, yeah, see, this, this seems to me like it was initially a partial Achilles tear. And then now this was a full rupture of the Achilles. And so there's a lot of chatter around that calf strain. And then when it actually ruptured, a lot of people, maybe this is just playing Monday morning morning quarterback, but a lot of the people in the league that I trust on these sort of things were saying, yeah, this seemed like a consistent, I'll say, consistent with a partial Achilles tear. Maybe we'll never know. But that is, I mean, when you ask, like, what is the injury that, that I knew was more serious than the public knew. I'm not going to say it's exactly Kevin Durant, but I do think that that injury was, it just fit the profile of what an Achilles partial tear looked like. Well, Doc, what, what did you see when you, when you saw that play out? I guess it was two years ago now. Yeah, I think, I think there's a few important things to think about with it. I think number one when you understand kind of the anatomy of how the Achilles forms from the muscles, we look at pictures and it looks like it just goes from muscle to tendon. And there's just this like abrupt transition. Very easy to distinctively tell one from the other. In reality, it's a lot more kind of overlap that transition, you know, mission myo for muscle and then tendon for tendon. So it's the junction there and so somebody could have an injury kind of to that junction where maybe you describe it as more the muscle maybe you describe it as more the tendon but it kind of overlaps in this gray area so it's not as black and white as just it's purely muscle it's purely tendon the other part of it too you know i think in these situations everybody wants to think there's some conspiracy going on I, i try to assume that the medical staff has the player's best interest in mind i mean it's in their best interest for him to not tear his achilles and so i don't know why they would try to fool the public or why they would try to hide something to bring him back if they knew he had a partial achilles tear now yeah i mean we'll probably never know exactly where it was but but it's hard for me to envision a scenario where they would have tried to do something, you know, negligent or do something to put him at risk, just knowing that they want him for the future. And so I I don't think anything, you know, bad was done. I think it's something that again, just with how much nuance there can be with some of this stuff, 
it's easy for the public to kind of run with it. And that's what's unfortunate when we see kind of this stuff with Anthony Davis, where we see, you know, kind of one report this day and then AD says, no, it's not the tendon. And then we hear it's the calf is it kind of makes the public question some of it a little bit, which I think is the most unfortunate side and can kind of build some distrust. Then if something does happen, but hindsight's, you know, 2020 with all these injuries, we can always look back and say, oh gosh, you know, Brandon Roy, Greg Oden. Oh, well, yeah, clearly we should have known at the time. Um, But in the moment, it's not really fair to do that because I think those teams, I mean, they have their best interest at heart. I think they're really trying to do the right thing. And you can always kind of Monday morning quarterback with it. So going back to AD, is this just simply a wear and tear issue? Or or, how how does this come about? It depends. So there are some, what we call, there's, when we look at risk factors, there's intrinsic risk factors, meaning it's your anatomy. It's your, you know, the way your bones are shaped. It's the arches in your foot. It's something inherent to your tissues versus Mm -hmm. external risk factors, like the workload, your jumping style, your landing mechanics. And so there are risk factors in both categories. In the majority of these types of injuries, it's some sort of overuse or imbalance in terms of the way that the muscles are maybe not quite as loose on one side compared to the other. You improperly load the Achilles, which puts more strain and stress on it. And so it can't quite handle it and adapt. Um, A lot of these times we'll find, you know, differences with arch height, we'll find differences with range of motion. And so there's kind of usually a host of different risk factors, but typically it has something to do with kind of some of the load they've built up over time through that, through that tissue as well. So would you say Lakers fans should feel good about today's news? I think they should. Yeah. I mean, I think when we looked at the play, it certainly could have been an Achilles rupture. I mean, that was a classic pushing off mechanism. And as we've seen, people can rupture their Achilles with zero pre-existing pain. And so I think just to hear that it's not ruptured is, of course, fantastic news. I think also this might kind of give them some more time. It gives them more of a reason to sort of shut him down and take a little bit longer and, and kind of let some of this go away, so to speak. And then, you know, he's got the time of the all-star break. He can really have that extra rehab. So I would see it as good news. I think all this kind of nuance at the end of the day is probably not going to matter that much. Um, but uh, knowing his history, yeah, I mean, I think things could have been a lot worse. As, as a sports doc, uh, how do you balance trying to get clicks on your videos with being like sound academically and, and clinically with your analysis? That's a really, that's a really good question. And I think, you know, I try, you know, I, I don't want to do anything for clickbait. I'm not trying to, you know, stir up controversy with things. Certainly with YouTube, there is something to be said of, you know, you want people to click your videos. And so, um, you know, I feel kind of dumb when I make a shocked face for a thumbnail, but there's no doubt that people, people click it, you know, more than if I stand in a white coat looking all professional and boring. Um, at the end of the day, though, you know, the goal is the education, you know, I'm not trying to make some big point. And, you know, I'll get messages from high school teachers, you know, pre med students who are using my videos for class. (laughs) And so that makes me actually really stressed, because I know that, you know, what I'm saying, I need to make sure it's correct, I need to make sure it's, um, you know, it's not getting lost in some of the fine details. And, And at the end of the day, if you can learn just one thing from the video, then then that's perfect. What was the first video that you did? Markel Fultz, thoracic outlet syndrome. Oh, wow. wow. That must have yeah. been a banger. Hold on. That, that <laughs> one, because I'd never heard of it until, yeah. until it happened to him. And I'm still not quite sure right. about what it actually is. Thoracic outlet syndrome is 
is tough. We, I would say we see a lot more cases where it's a question of thoracic outlet syndrome that don't truly turn out to be it than it actually is. It's a pretty rare thing. And basically, in short, you have nerves, you have blood vessels that come from your neck that go down into the arm. And there's a lot of muscles up in there. And for different reasons, those nerves or blood vessels can get pinched or get squeezed which can then shut off blood flow to the arm. It can affect the nerves going into the shoulder blade to the shoulder muscles. Um, and so there's different types of thoracic outlet syndrome, but um, can be really, really impairing to people. I mean, even just the slightest little bit of weakness in your shoulder blade muscles could throw off something like a jump shot. Um, but, but overall, a pretty darn rare thing. Brandon Ingram had something sort of similar where he had the, the blood clot that yeah, he had, yes, yeah. um, kind of in that same area. Um, not exactly, you know, 100% identical, but still, you know, that kind of pain, something coming from those blood vessels down the arm. So yeah, that was an example. I thought, gosh, I always, I bet people have no idea what this is. You know, nobody knows what thoracic outlet syndrome is. I saw a bunch of weird explanations out there. Um, there was, of course, all kinds of other controversy around what was going on with faults that, that, you know, kind of got swept into. But, um, but yeah, ever since then, that was, that was the first one. And it's been, been a lot of fun. You've done over a hundred NBA slash basketball videos. Which one do you think was your best one? Like, which one do you That's, you you look at and you say, you know what, I nailed that. <laughs> I did a video talking about the ten most powerful jumpers in NBA history. Um, so I my training before medical school was engineering. So I studied mechanical engineering um, and then did a biomedical master's degree and then went into medical school. And so I really loved the biomechanics, the kind of physics side of all this. Mm. And I wanted to look, you know, we talk about players like Zion who are so powerful with yeah. their jump, maybe not the highest vertical compared to, you know, like Derek Jones, but they're so powerful. And there's pretty good research out there and just basic physics formulas where you can calculate how much power somebody can actually generate with their jump. And so I, I did this math. I was curious to see kind of how it compared to just vertical jump heights. And it was a lot more math um, than I expected to get into and took way more time than the rest of my videos. But uh, it was something that I think was was pretty unique and was a lot of fun compared to, you know, it's not always fun. You know, I, I don't want people to get hurt. You know, I enjoy the teaching side of it. Um, so anytime I can do something that's not, you know, about somebody getting hurt, that's always nice too. What's the most unexpected feedback you've ever gotten on one of your videos? Definitely Zion videos. I, uh, I, was, I was a little bit hard, you know, whenever, before he got hurt last year, I think as everybody was commenting on, there was some, um, definitely kind of some red flags, you know, people were seeing with some of his mechanics and, and weight and so on. And I pretty much kind of leaned right into that with some of the stuff that I talked about with, you know, different risk factors and how BMI can affect things. And it was my first exposure into how passionate I'll say <laughs> um, sports fans can be. I got a lot of a lot of nasty comments and some nasty emails um, from Pelicans fans telling me to leave them alone. And you know, it's it's fair. People are passionate. They you know they want to look out for their their favorite players. I mean, what's your what's your worst injury? Sports injury that I've had? Yeah, me personally, I uh, I tore my ulnar collateral ligament in my thumb. I was, I was playing oh, the Steve Nash's char yeah, charity soccer game and I fell and I tried to brace myself and it just, broop, and afterward yeah. my thumb was just hanging. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought icing it would help. <laughs> Apparently, Did no, you have to I have went, surgery? Yeah, I had to, I had to be repaired yeah. surgically, yeah, and, which is yeah. my first time ever going under the knife. Yeah. I've it's had a funny. few 
injuries myself. So I can relate to, I've had Tommy John surgery. I've yeah. had my ankle operated on. I played tennis. That was kind of my, my high school yeah. and college sport. So. So, so the, the cool thing guys about more well, not cool. It was, <laughs> unpo- but when I tore it, it was literally, I think within a week or so of Drew Brees having the same exact injury. And I remember, you know, he was back playing, I think three weeks later. And I was still walking around with the, not a cast, but with the mold on. And everyone's like, oh, but Drew Brees is back. Well, Drew Brees has a team yeah. of people who are trying to help this guy get back to kind of functional. I don't. I'm on my own with like silly putty or whatever. But uh, have, you, have you had, Doc, have you had any, any uh, teams or players or athletes reach out to you? I haven't. And honestly, you know, I, I enjoy being able to teach and talk about this stuff so much that I almost... I almost don't want to know <laughs> because then yeah. I wouldn't be able to share or talk about these things. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we'll see how things kind of transpire down the road. I, it's really fun to work with kind of the, the high school level athletes, the, the kind of college level athletes. Um, it's very, very different. You know, when you look at kind of the sports medicine world of caring for, you know, just your local high school football player compared to the NBA, um, I've gotten to do some work with one of the Olympic teams uh, for some research and, and just every level has a lot of unique kind of intricacies to it. Um, but I really, I really like the kind of younger high school college level. It's just, you know, right. good people that just want to play their sport and have fun and be healthy. Well, well, let me ask you this. How often do you come across something either like you, you've never seen before or man, I have so little experience with this. I got to do some homework yeah. on this. Yeah, I would say decently often. I, I think it's more so, there's a lot more times than I think people realize where we don't necessarily know what's going on with something. You know, we have all these great tests. We have MRIs, we have ultrasounds, we, we have, you know, blood work. We can do a lot of objective things, but there's a lot of times at the end of the day where, you know, we do all these tests and nothing really stands out that looks wrong with someone, mm-hmm. so to speak. And so, you know, we'll hear about some of these athletes who just have like, you know, knee pain and, you know, there's maybe nothing on their MRI. Their knee just hurts for some kind of unknown reason. I think the biggest thing though, that, that at least I'm always reading about is how treatments are updating, you know, the, the regenerative medicine, the stem cells, the PRP, is kind of the biggest hot topic right now in the sports world. And there's constantly new research coming out that, you know, one week, maybe it's really good for something the next week, maybe it's not so good. And so trying to stay on top of that is, is probably the hardest part of it in terms of the reading and the research. Well, it doesn't show that uh, you might not know what you're talking about sometimes. <laughs> you do it. If you're faking it, you're doing an excellent you're doing job. A great job. <laughs> As they say, medicine's, medicine's an art. It's not a science. And that's definitely true. It's everything so unique and different um, that you kind of got to just know the foundational science and then kind of build on the, the art of it. Well, I love the work you do. And this won't be the last time Absolutely. you're on the Haber Show because I think you just provide such important insight into all this. And we're, you're never short on content in the NBA. There's always something that's just happening. That's what, what is that about? Like, how, how do you explain that? So um, where can people find your work and um, how can we get you to a hundred thousand followers on Twitter? Cause I think you're pretty much already no. like way no, no, ahead no, no. of us on the no, YouTube no. thing. See, see, Tom, Tom, <laughs> no, Tom, Tom doesn't understand. 
Twitter followers gets you nothing. YouTube followers is where the money's at. Follow this man on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true. So my YouTube channel is just, it's it's my name. It's Brian Suter, MD. Um, like you guys are saying, I cover basketball, football, MMA, soccer, pretty much anything in the sports world that, that I think would be educational and interesting for people to look at and kind of learn about. Um, I am on Twitter, but uh, I've been trying to grow my Twitter game because I feel like Twitter is the path to YouTube. But uh, you're already there. You're already at YouTube. It's all about the YouTube thing. Yeah. So you know, it's it's crazy. I never would have thought a few years ago that uh, that YouTube would be what it is. But it's it's in my opinion the best classroom that uh, that you can have out there. Brian, I'm telling you right now, as a guy who has a lot of uh, Twitter followers, it's worthless. Completely worthless. It's worthless. (laughs) Okay. All that all that means all it means, Brian, is when you tweet something, more people are going to be upset about what you said. That's all that does. That's true. The more the more uh, YouTube followers you get, the angrier. You know, initially it's all your friends and family, and then you hit the kind of the <laughs> threshold where people start yelling at you and cursing at you, and you're like, "What is?" This? I, I've got to get the blue check mark. Maybe if I just can get the blue check mark eventually, then uh, then that'll be good for Twitter. We got to talk to some people, man. Uh, I know we, I could could definitely make that happen. Brian Sutterer, MD. Um, thank you so much, Brian, for joining the show. Uh, and again, we'll have you we'll have you back on soon. I'm sure there'll be something other. Uh, as soon as like this goes up, there'll be another one that we need to talk about. So I appreciate the yeah. time, man. Thank you guys very much. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Haber Show podcast. Want to give a special shout out to Brian Sutterer for joining us, providing all that insight on Anthony Davis's Achilles. And I also want to give a shout out to all those who have joined the Stereo app and listened to our live Haber Show podcast and offered all those questions. Last week, we answered about 50. um, And the week before that, we answered 80 questions from the audience. It's pretty simple. Download the Stereo app. Join us every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Watch the NBA games with us. Ask us questions. Do some trivia. And just kind of hang out with us. Uh, Every week, Wednesday night, 9 p.m., hang out with us. And uh, just just chill. I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's probably the highlight of my week uh, at work. Um, it doesn't really feel like work because I'm having such a good time with y'all. So um, that's the Stereo app every Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, check it out. I'm at Haberstro. Amin's at, at Darth Amin. And uh, we'll talk to you then. Let's hang. <laughs>